Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. The BetQL Network presents your favorite handicapper's favorite handicapper, Ken Barkley. If I have an opinion, I'm just going to go put money on that thing happening. And your host, Nick Costos. Every single play of every single game impacts you in some way, shape, or form. It's You Better You Bet, presented by BetMGM. Hour three, you better, you bet, presented by BetMGM. PJ Glasser filling in for Nick Costos, who will be back tomorrow alongside Ken Barkley. This is hour three. We're still on Stadium with you guys. You can go to watchstadium.com, can check us out over there. We're also still streaming on twitch.tv slash BetQL, YouTube backslash Odyssey Sports, and you can also listen to us on Sirius Channel 160 and Sirius XM 205. Going to continue talking Locketology next segment, but we take a quick break to talk some NBA with our guy Noops. You can follow him on Twitter at underscore Noops. Betting analysts, FTM Bets and BetUS NBA, and also the host of Hoops with Noops. Noops, great Always having you on the show. Before we get into like the second half of the NBA season, some futures, how was your All-Star weekend? Did you hate it as much as everybody else did? Were you able to win some money at least? Did you bet on any of the competitions? Well, I bet on every single competition. It did very well at picking the second-place finisher in a lot oh, of things. No. Unfortunately, they don't pay out for second place, so that was a lot of fun. Overall... All-Star Weekend can never really disappoint me because I don't expect anything out of it. As I joked in an NBA chat, I'm in with Ken. I was asleep for the NBA All-Star game for however many years in a row I've just been doing that. I think Saturday's great. The three-point shootout is fantastic. That's one of my favorite events. I don't know why everyone is so upset with the dunk contest. Look, we've, we've 98% of all possible dunks have been done. They're forced to do these silly things. And until we can get either star players or freak athletes, you know, you go back in time and look at guys like Fred Jones, one of the judges. How do we find somebody like that? Again, another Mac McClung. There has to be some sort of dunk enthusiast freak athlete out there. And I think that's the only chance. But again, it was another fun Saturday and the All-Star game. It happened, apparently. Yes, it did. It did. I, I, I was there in terms of I watched it. So it definitely happened. And I, I kind of want like those two and a half hours of my life back, especially because, as you mentioned, it can't stop coming in second. I had Halliburton to win MVP. He, he came in second. He got five of the 12 votes. That was uh, that was not fun. Uh, I know part of your the content that you're producing, like during this off time that we have is almost entirely focused on futures markets, teams to win the division, win the title, win awards, which I know you and I both love having conversations about. I know this isn't one of your bets and you have some good ones, which I definitely want to make sure we get to. But I do have to ask you about MVP and maybe it relates honestly to some of the bets that you like seeing what they are in the chat. Um, I think there's a lot of 
I don't even know if there's a lot of differing opinions. Maybe that's the wrong way to put it. I think we're starting to get a consensus opinion among people who bet noops, at least, that like SGA is the very valuable bet and that he is like the likely challenger to kind of like take down Jokic, who was leading in the last Tim Bontemp straw poll. Do you agree with that? Like it's SGA and like this is who people should put their money behind. Do you think it could get weirder than that? Like where are you at with MVP right now? It's a really tough market, and it's one of those things where I agree that the price on SGA is a little too high. A lot of the ways when I try to handicap these awards, it's trying to just think about differences. And I think that it's we've got a pretty clear top two here with Jokic, with Shea Gildress, Alexander. So I think maybe Shea should be closer to plus 150 than you know the plus 210 we're looking at here from our friends at BetMGM. But I don't know if that's a good enough price to enter the market. I think at this point of the season, you have to look back at your own MVP portfolio. And I guess I would say at this point, if you don't have any Jokic, if you don't have any Shea, look at your positions and try to figure out maybe if you can enter and save yourself. But if you've got a nice fat number on Shea, cover it with some Jokic. If you've got a nice number on Jokic, definitely cover it with some Shea. Yeah, I mean, to your point, Noops, it's pretty much a two-horse race right now. Jokic minus 130, Shea plus 210. Then you have Luka and Giannis both at plus 900. It's also a two-horse race right now for Rookie of the Year. Weminyama is the heavy favorite, minus 650. Chet Holmgren is plus 500. Then you have Brandon Miller at 150 to 1. What's the case to be made, maybe Noops, for Chet Holmgren in the second half of the season? This is one where, again, it's a two-man race, but I just think these prices should be a lot closer than they are. Um, uh, Webb and Yama has been really great. I think that uh, what we're having here is the conversation between Victor Webinyama was the top pick. He is the guy of this group that has a chance to be a transcendently great NBA player, one of the 15, 25, 10 best players of all time, whereas Chet Holmgren has this ceiling of being a really productive player and you start to look at their seasons. I think Webb and Yamas has been a little bit flashier. Uh, his counting stats are a little bit better, whereas Hungren's efficiency stats are better. And he's playing on a winning team. And in the same way, uh, there's going to be this push, I think, for Shea Gildress-Alexander. I think overall, Thunder players are going to get a hard look. And this numbers just move too much. I think Webinyama deserves to be the favorite, but I'm looking at minus 650 on Webinyama plus 500 from our friends over at BetMGM. I think you have to get yourself some Chet Holmgren at plus 500, especially if you don't have some already, or again, you were able to take advantage of Webinyama, who you could have had at some nice plus numbers uh, even so far as a month ago. So I think we've just seen the market swing too much one way. I'm going to grab a little uh, Holmgren for myself. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. Like how, how much do voters end up valuing team success versus player success? Some of the voters have been pretty outspoken that like they're going to vote Chet if the Thunder are really good. I don't know if everyone's going to feel that way, but I guess you have enough smoke to at least like consider it. And so I, I definitely don't blame you for wanting to play back now that we've gotten like, stretched out for so far in this market. I, I kind of think Wembenyama is just going to win, but like maybe I'm falling victim to the same kind of just like bias or simple minded thinking or whatever that's like kind of creating the market that we have. So, so Holmgren plays for the Thunder. We talked about SGA already. We talked about Chet there. Uh, there, The Northwest Division, a lot of the divisions in the NBA by the time we get to this point are like pretty decided. You know, the Clippers are probably going to win the Pacific. The Celtics are probably going to win their division. Like a lot of these just get said and they become not very fun betting conversations. The Northwest, like all year, has been like a really, really crazy conversation with Minnesota and Oklahoma City and Denver. Denver kind of slid a little bit going into the All-Star break. So odds-wise, they're in third in terms of being most likely to win the division, like about three to one, depending on where you go, MGM's 325. And Minnesota's the favorite, probably the most likely team to be the one seed. And in the middle is the Thunder, who we've already talked about a bunch. How do you handicap the Northwest division, Noops, as we come down the stretch here? 
It has been a really fun division. You start to look at the three teams here, starting with Denver. They're three games back of Minnesota, but they are in the rare position of getting to play Minnesota three times here to finish the season. So if you think Denver is going to be locked in and pushing hard, there is a chance that they can sneak up here. I am not of that opinion. We've seen the Nuggets pretty much kind of sleepwalk through this season so far outside of a few games against key opponents in big spots where they really seem to step up again, like that win in Boston. It's been pretty rough for them, so I don't expect them to make that push. Not that I'm crossing Denver off, but I'm just not interested in betting them at, uh, again, the plus 325 we're looking at here. But the Thunder are just a game and a half back, 2-2 uh, in their series with Minnesota here. So that first tiebreaker um, goes aside. I think the second tiebreaker is division record. So, uh, again, that's pretty close. Uh, the Thunder still have a game to play, so... Again, going to be favored in most of their games. They're effectively a game behind the way I look at it. And Oklahoma City has an easier schedule, in my opinion. They do travel a little bit more, but they generally play a much lower quality of team going forward. It's a deep team. We know they can handle injuries and such. And not that I don't think Minnesota is going to be good here. I just, as I started to look through it and, and run my numbers, I basically came up with the two of them with almost the exact same wins. And more often than not, Oklahoma City with one more win. So at plus 190 here, I think that's a really nice grab. Noops, you know, it's interesting. Ken and I are talking a lot of college basketball on the show today, and UConn's kind of separating themselves from the pack. And right now they're plus 500 to win the title, and their price just keeps going down. Boston's price keeps going down to plus 110 in the East. Like, in your opinion, do you think they're still worth a bet at that price? Do you think the gap is that significant that you would still, even at the shorter number, when it's been higher throughout the season, you would still bet them at the plus money? I haven't bet Boston all season, and I'm not going to bet them now. Uh, it's a great team. It's a really good roster. Uh, up and down, they have depth. They have multiple stars. They can handle a lot of things. But I still continue to struggle to see how the postseason is going to be any different than it has for the last few. Now, the Eastern Conference is wide open, but there's also a lot of injury uncertainty. If somehow Embiid can come back and be even 75% in shape, basically, the Philadelphia becomes a really scary team. I'm not expecting Glenn Rivers and the Milwaukee Bucks to suddenly put it together, but you've always got Giannis. That's a terrifying matchup. The Miami Heat continue to dominate Boston with their control over games, the improvement in their coaching. So it's one of those things where I understand why Boston is such a big favorite, uh, but I'm just waiting to fade them in, in the postseason. I can't wait to see how the bracket shakes out, and I will be probably be betting against them most series. Yeah, I mean – Heat look a little better. They make it again. Knicks, I think, would be really interesting. Like, there's a couple teams where it's... I'm not saying they would definitely beat the Celtics, but I, I kind of agree. I mean, people that listen to the show very much know how I feel about the Boston Celtics, just at least in terms of a title winner. And let's do that market next, Noops. Maybe we could do a couple other awards. I want to ask you about Maxi most improved before the interview's over, for sure, which has been a pretty hot topic in, like, you know, people who bet on awards and stuff. But in terms of the title... And PJ alluded to it, like the Celtics price, especially to win their conference, but to win the title, it's it's come down as they are really on the verge of having like a, a historic win-loss record in the NBA. They won't obviously, they're not going to go 73-9 and nine or anything, but like it's going to be like a 65-66 win team at the end of the season, which, you know, like those teams usually win or make it really far, um, but you're not betting them to win the title. And uh, tell us who you like to win the NBA title and kind of some of the thought behind it. 
If you heard me talk this season about the NBA, you've heard what I'm about to say. The Denver Nuggets should be favored to win the NBA title. Nikola Jokic is the best player. Him and Murray are probably the best top two. Denver continues to have depth. Again, they'll miss Bruce Brown, but they found some younger players that work. We know how much better they are in the postseason when they make adjustments like playing Aaron Gordon as their backup center, going a little bit smaller, stretching out Jokic's minutes. I look up and down the Western Conference. It is a very tough conference, but I still don't see a team that looks good enough to me to beat Denver. The Clippers are great, but it's just a terrible matchup for Denver. They really don't have the size or anything that they can do to control Jokic. And as much as the Clippers have been good, I'm still reminding myself that it is February and James Harden becomes a much different person in April and May. So uh, the Suns continue to be overpriced. I don't understand why the Suns are the fourth, fifth favorite. They're third to win the West for some reason. And Minnesota and Oklahoma City are good. I just Maybe think it's a year too early. So the Denver Nuggets, they're plus 450. I bet them basically every time they've gone to plus 500 or a little bit higher. If you don't have any Nuggets in your pocket, get it now. I think they win the West. And worst case are maybe small underdogs to Boston if that's the matchup in the finals. And as we just talked about, I'm not sure the Celtics are going to be there. You and me, buddy. I I really hope we're right. Because <laughs> if Boston plays Denver in the finals and Boston wins, I think I have to like retire from the show or something. I think that's like how this we works. We have a lot of stuff I we just, have to uh, delete. Yeah. I just, yeah. Just like, find me in the foreign country or something. Uh, yeah. Anyway, hope it, hope it plays out that way. I, PJ's going to be nice and let me ask you about Maxi. Most improved just because you and I have a rapport with this award. We talk about it every single time you come on. You're a Sixers fan. You bet Maxi at like a really good price before the season started. Like you, you bet him last year. You've been, you've been waiting for this moment, basically for him to potentially uh, win most improved player. He, he's a favorite and he's a pretty big favorite. But he's not as big of a favorite as it was about two or three weeks ago, which probably at least gives you like a little cause for concern. And I feel like everyone's trying to find people who bet not the, the voters may have made up their mind. Maybe it is Maxi, but just the people who talk about this stuff. It feels like it's oh, it's Jalen Williams because he's getting like a pop recently or it's still maybe it's Shen Goon still, but maybe they have to play better or it's Kobe White. Like if the numbers stay as good as they are or, you know, I'm sure there's like a Kaminga, but like probably need a really narrow path there where he really scores a lot to close. feels like people are trying to talk themselves into a lot of candidates and they could be right for sure. Where are you at here on like Maxi versus the field? Still a minus price to win a most improved player in about a minute, please. Well, I'm going down with the ship, but I don't really feel great about it. Um, I have a bunch of Maxi bets to be most improved. Before the season, he was anywhere from plus 2,000 to as high as plus 3,500. I have a pile of tickets that I try not to look at because it makes me sick. But uh, when I compare this to some of the other award markets, it kind of reminds me of six man of the year where we don't have a great candidate, but Maxi is still the best candidate for this award. And what we've seen, like you said, he was as big of a favorite at minus 500. I think he even got to minus 700 after his 51-point performance um, in a Sixers victory without Joel Embiid. We're now looking at minus 150. But as you said, you start to look through. Kobe White, the Bulls are not very good, and Kobe White's counting numbers are starting to flatten out. Shen Goon has been the same price pretty much all season, basically, at this point. There just isn't a real push for him. Kaminga is the name that scares me. He continues to get better and better. And if this Golden State team can push up to maybe the seventh seed, maybe even compete for a sixth seed and Kaminga scoring 25-plus points a night, I think he's the only guy that can challenge Maxi. But I think at this point, if you're selling on Maxi, you're selling very low. They've had a week off. The Sixers should be a little bit healthier, maybe not in bead, but the rest of the support pieces they've been missing should be back. They don't have the worst schedule going forward here. And I think if Maxi can kind of right the ship, get the Sixers in at the end of the season, still a four or five seed without Embiid uh, at 
come voting time, people are going to look at the list of options and Maxi will be the best one available. You can follow him on Twitter at underscore noops, betting analyst, FTN bets and bet us NBA, the host of hoops with noops, our guy noops. Always great talk with you noops. Enjoy uh, the last day off before uh, it starts back up again on, uh, well, I guess you get your day off tomorrow too. Starts back up on Thursday. Enjoy the second half of the season. We'll talk to you again soon. I can't wait for basketball to come back. There's just too much time in the day. <laughs> yeah, that's like, yeah, you four-hour shows about brackets. That's what you end up doing when, yeah. that, when that doesn't happen. You end up creating a, a fictional NCAA tournament and playing it out. This is what happens when you have too much time on your hands. Uh, this speaking is... of which, I, I can't get back to simulating this fictional tournament, PJ. I, I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait either. We got to wrap up our time on Moron Island before uh, we yeah. head over to the next the region. Got got to get back there real soon. We'll talk about Alabama next before we head to Yukon's region and do some more Locketology. PJ Glasser, Ken Barkley, You Better You Bet, presented by BetMGM. Stats for Bama show 6-0 run right now. Sears, oh, no wow. luck. Out to the finish. For this dominating run. Sears. Yes! Oh. Let's get back to You Better You Bet, presented by BetMGM on the BetQL Network. PJ Glasser filling in for Nick Costos, who will be back tomorrow alongside Ken Barkley. You Better You Bet, presented by BetMGM. That was ESPN on the call of Alabama's game over the weekend against Texas A&M. Ken and I continuing Lockatology over on Stadium. If you want to go check us out over there, you can go to watchstadium.com. You can also go to twitch.tv slash BetQL, YouTube backslash Odyssey Sports, or you can listen for free on the Odyssey app as, where, as well as Sirius Channel 160 and Sirius XM 205. All right, Ken, just a couple teams more here in uh, Moron Island. We've been making our way through. We've had a good yeah. discussion about Houston. We've been on the Houston. island for a while. We've been on been Moron on, Island been for on like this a island. couple hours now. Yeah. We have. We have been on this island for a while. Uh, Houston, we talked about them. Illinois, North Carolina. Just wanted to give my thoughts on Bama just because I watch every game. It's the team I know the best. It's where I went to school. Uh, they are the definition of a paper tiger, Ken. I know you use yeah, that sure term are. a lot. People will hear it a lot over the next three weeks, a month. I mean, this is just your quintessential number one offense in the country, number 74 on defense. You look at their resume this season. They have not been able to win a game like against a really good team away from Tuscaloosa. Their non-conference schedule was really hard. They played against Purdue. They played against Arizona. They played against Creighton. They played all those teams tough for a half, and they couldn't close. Then they lost against Clemson at home. They've lost at Tennessee. They lost against Auburn. So I know their odds are like 18-1 to to win it all. Their offense is really, really good. The job that Nate Oates has done this season is just proven that like he's one of the top coaches in the country. They were the number one overall team last year heading into the tournament. Lost five of their top six scorers. Lost his top three assistant coaches. And now you wake up on February 20th. They play Florida tomorrow. And uh, they have a chance to win another SEC regular season title. He's done a great job. But again, they just don't play enough defense. They don't have enough size either. And um, Ken, what really hurt them was Charles Bediaco was their seven-footer from last season. We knew Brandon Miller was going to leave. We knew Noah Clowney was going to leave. We knew J Javon Quinterly was probably going to leave too. But Bediaco was really the guy that like this year's team is missing. They need a rim protector. They need a center that doesn't foul. They need a guy that can rebound, and they just don't have that this year. So 
Bama is the three seed that teams want to see in their region. They're going to score a lot, but they're not going to play a lot of defense and uh, wouldn't shock me at all if they lose in the first weekend. So uh, I am uh, very much looking forward to fading them in the tournament. It's going to pay me a little bit, but uh, again, <laughs> definition of a paper tiger, Ken. Definition, yeah. all offense, no defense. I yes. have three friends send me a tweet this morning, Ken, that got them all excited. Uh, at underscore Nick Kelly tweeted this out. He covers Alabama sports. He said there have been only been three teams since 1999, according to Ken wow. Palm, that have had an all adjusted offensive efficiency of 127.1 or higher, which Bama currently has. That would be Duke in 99, Wisconsin in 2015, and yeah. Villanova in 2018. Oh, yeah. None of those. Well, Villanova's, none of those. Villanova's like the most. Yeah, that, they're like the historic one. They're like the best one ever, right? Is that Villanova team with Jalen Brunson? Yeah, those Villanova like, teams. Oh, so, so the idea is like they're for, so Alabama. They're next. That's your idea. They're like, so, oh, they're the next one. Yeah, because all three what, of those what we teams. To mention there, Right. Yes, I, all those teams defended at an incredibly high level. Uh, Villanova is one of the best defensive teams in the tournament. They were the best team. <laughs> they were literally the yeah. best team. They also won the exactly. national title. They were also like a 10-point favorite in the national championship game. So, yeah, like, yeah, the offense was great, and the defense was also really good. Like, that also happened. Um, yeah, it looked like, well, I'm going to do Paper Tiger here for a little bit. Uh, people who don't listen to the show very often. Uh People who follow this like know, they know exactly what's coming here. Um, yeah, there's a certain type of team that tends to not have a lot of success in the NCAA tournament, uh, tends to be the victim of a lot of upsets historically. And PJ used the term paper tiger there. That's what that's what we call teams like that. It's kind of I feel like it's become a part of like the vernacular that a lot of people that, that do this content talk about. And I kind of mm -hmm. like that because I think it's cool. I think it's like something that we should all know about and appreciate because it's a real thing. And it doesn't have to be true. Uh, Miami last year was a team like that. They are the first. First one ever with this profile that ever made a final four uh, had a crazy comeback against Texas in the regional final to make it really well coached team took, took made a ton of threes and uh, and credit to them. Uh, and, and so like it's going to happen, but I it's still like it explains so many of the historical upsets in the tournament. I think it's just a good thing to be aware of still. And I always try to frame it that way. Like none of these are absolutes, but man, like you, I would want to know this stuff if I was going to you know, like fill out a bracket even or or bet on teams to win a region. I would want to know this stuff. And uh, yep. this region, this region presents as two teams that fit that description. So the the standard definition is really easy. Top six seed, uh, raw, so not adjusted offensive efficiency of 25th or better and unadjusted def defensive efficiency of 150th or worse. So layman's terms, you are an incredible offensive team in terms of how many points you actually score per 100, and you are a really bad defensive team or at least an average defensive team. So all of your success is defined by performance at the offensive end of the court. That's what defines your like why you're an above average team. It's all about that your offense is better. Your defense is incredibly susceptible. And uh, teams like there, we, we don't have to do all the historical examples, but a lot of the upsets historically are teams that, that have this. Uh, twos that lost to 15s you know uh some of the some of the other like really big time upsets all time uh fit this description and uh alabama is you're right they are i have them their splits are one and 168 unadjusted Oof. which is that's <laughs> that's what it is yeah and you'd be like you'd be like well their adjusted defense is this yeah that's because like ken palm makes a really smart calculation about who you played and therefore, because you played teams that are good, you get a lot of credit that I would argue in the NCAA tournament you shouldn't get. 
Um, great, you play a really difficult schedule. Also, you couldn't guard them. How are you going to guard somebody in the tournament? So anyway, I don't have to. I don't want to do a lot on this year because we're going to do it a lot leading up to the tournament. But Alabama mm-hmm. would be a team you would have circled right now that would fit that description. What does that mean from a betting standpoint? Uh, I think it means they have a capped ceiling would be the right way to think about it. Um, some of these teams win a couple games in the tournament, win three, four, but kind of like Houston, but the inverse. Houston, you always worry about the clunker on offense. What about the game where they don't make threes uh, and they're not a very good shooting team to begin with? They can be got. Um, a team like Alabama, Clemson is the other team in this region that fits that description. Clemson splits offense, defense, unadjusted are 24 and 173, uh, which is pretty eye-popping. And so they and they have played an insanely difficult schedule, so their defense looks way better than it actually is. Uh, 69th, nice uh, in terms of adjustment for Ken Palm. So like those two are both in this region, so we'll kind of do this here. From a betting standpoint, all I would think about is uh, – I'm looking for a way to get them out of the tournament in the right matchup, in the right betting market. I'm always looking to get them out. Maybe I passed the game the first time, but if they play a certain team in the second round, now I'm interested. And so, you know, timing this is tricky. Um, see, tournament long futures. I'm not betting this team to win the region. I'm definitely not betting them to win the tournament. And so then maybe that opens up some options in terms of like how you do probability for the other teams to win the region. Like, especially if it's a team like Alabama, that'll be pretty desirable in whatever division or whatever region they play in. And again, like Miami won, like they made the fight, like it happened. It had never happened before that a team with this profile had won. They won the games, credit to them. Um, I still think the lesson from this is something like, this is really good stuff to keep in mind, though. Going into the, to be fair, though, I think there were five teams that fit that description last year, and Miami won, but like a lot of the other teams didn't go particularly far or won a couple games, and so it's a capped ceiling. That's how I like to think about it. And to be fair, Miami made the Final Four, and you know UConn trounced them, and that was the end of that. So like it just that's that's kind of the way it went. Um, not a winner. So for Alabama, look like they could win a few games depending on how the bracket breaks. Maybe they look really good a couple times. But especially, I seen with their tournament history the last couple of years, uh, no thanks. And then Clemson, I would have in the same group. But I think I think I'm good on the region too. If you are after that, yeah, no, I, I totally am as well. Uh, you bring up UConn; they are the number one seed over in Bing Bong Bay. As we go over to that region, Mike pulls up the uh, the graphics. They're the one seed. They would play the playing game of South Dakota State and Norfolk State, TCU, Virginia in the eight nine game. Dayton, McNeese State, 512, San Diego State, UC Irvine, the 413, South Carolina, Nevada, 611, Baylor, the three C, they would go up against UNC Wilmington, the 14, who won at Kentucky earlier this year. St. Mary's, the seven, going up against Nebraska, the 10, and Tennessee, the two seed, going up against Eastern Washington, the 15. Another really interesting region. Uh, Ken, I want to get your thoughts, obviously, what jumps out to you. I'll start and just say that I think we're on a collision course. If this ends up being the bracket with similar teams where we are, we're going to get a repeat of last year's national championship with UConn and San Diego State meeting in the Sweet 16. San Diego State's playing really well. They returned some of those key guys from last year's team really good defensively, um, and their offense is a little bit better this year than they were last year. Another thing that jumps out to me kind of is the surprise teams in, in this region that have had better years than maybe we anticipated. Obviously, South Carolina was picked preseason to finish dead last in the SEC. They were like a four or five seed like last couple weeks. 
Now they've dropped to a six after a couple losses, but uh, they're a six seed, a team that I'm looking forward to fading. Dayton is having a really good year. They're a five seed right now. They have one of the best players in the country in uh, Rashawn Holmes, if you haven't watched him play, or Deron Holmes, excuse me, averages 20 points per game and eight rebounds. He is a monster. Um, they would be the five seed going up against McNeese State. You talk about some of these mid-major teams and like who their coaches are. Will Wade, the coach of McNeese State. So I think a lot of people are going to like them as a 12 seed. And then also just like the slow paces of some of these teams in this region with obviously Virginia, St. Mary's as well, which could be an interesting team. And then Tennessee, who I personally hate UC Irvine. the fact some of the smaller seasons, yeah, St. Mary's, absolutely. St. Mary's, right, yeah, UC Irvine. I mean, they're number 31 on Kempom defensively, really good. Uh, TCU's a solid team. Ken, personally, the thing that sticks out to me is I hate the fact that Tennessee is a two-seed in UConn's region. (laughs) I absolutely hate it. I really think any other one-seed, I think I would have Tennessee going to the Final Four. And we had Isaac Trotter on, yes, I agree with Isaac Trotter, and betting on Rick Barnes is going against everything I believe in. I can't believe I'm doing it, but I think Isaac everything Trotter— Everything I believe in is a really funny way to put that. Yeah. Okay. Can I just—I I mean, how how can you how can you believe in Rick Barnes? Like, I can't believe I'm doing it, but I, I, I think, like, this year's team is, like, different. What I want to see out of Houston is what I'm seeing out of Tennessee. For their last five games, the Vols have scored 88 points or more. And Isaac said it, the, the entire key is Dalton Connect. Like, Tennessee finally has a dude on offense, right? You know the defense is always going to be good. With a Rick Barnes team, Tennessee's always going to be solid on that side of the ball. But finally, they have a bona fide score that everybody in the gym knows who's getting the ball, and he's still going to be able to get to his spots and get his points. It's all going to be about the other guys, like Zakai Ziegler, Josiah Jordan-James. Like, they're going to need to play well. But again, like the landscape of everybody else in college hoops, you almost kind of eliminate teams before you bet on certain teams. And I just like the makeup of Tennessee. They played a good non-conference schedule. They had some nice wins. And I think connect is the entire key for me this year. I It's like Houston, they've had guys like that in the past, like Sasser, even though he's not going to be a lottery pick like connect's going to be. But man, I mean, obviously they had Jairus Walker a couple of years ago. I just like... Tennessee can, but I hate the fact that they're in UConn's region, so I can't take them to go to the Final Four. Yeah, uh, this uh, this region is the one where I had the least amount of things to talk about. I want to talk about UConn. Maybe we start next segment with that. Um, I'll mm-hmm. do the kind of the other stuff here because there for me there isn't a lot of it. There there aren't a lot of things that are interesting about this region. There aren't a lot of interesting teams. There's a bunch of teams where I'm just kind of like, eh. Like, okay, like uh, one of them will win a couple games. I don't know which one it'll be, but not a very inspiring group, I guess I would say. Um, I would echo your thoughts on McNeese State. And uh, the way I would think about these 12s is like, everyone's going to like them. The market in their game will be shorter than you think. I would make Dayton five in the game. And I had somebody give me their numbers and they made it four. And I was like, whoa, really? Because like Dayton's numbers are actually pretty awesome. Like this is not... Like this would this would be unexpected, I think, if you look at some of the ratings that are out there. And uh, I was like, "Wow, okay." Um, and I just agree. And I just McNeese and Grand Canyon would be the two where I just go, "Look, like they might get a bad draw, and then you probably mm-hmm. don't want to play on them." 
But man, like if they get the right draw, even in a one possession kind of a market, like I'm going to be in like this is just like the teams are too good. And these are spots where these teams are historically really, really, really good to play on. Some of the 6-11s could play out that way also. So we'll just circle that. And then, yeah, I'll do Tennessee here for like 30 seconds. Um, I will say they don't even removing Rick, (laughs) removing Rick Barnes for a second. (laughs) They don't profile as a winner to me. In a couple of really important areas that are important to me, um, they don't profile as a winner, but they can pretty much do everything else. Statistically, they could go to the final four. They could go to the championship game. There is no barrier statistically to those things happening. So that's Correct. a good team. Like that's a team to be taken seriously. Uh, you just, I feel like we're just Sisyphus here though. Every day you just push the rock up the hill and it comes back down. I mean, I just, I, you're going to put your money on Rick Barnes in the tournament. Like, I know. Good, like good luck. You know, and and at a price that's like not very appealing, I'll mention to win their region, they're going to be like two to one or worse or something like that. Like, you're not going to get a good number on them. And uh feels like this feels like Shark Tank. And for that reason, I'm out. And for that reason, I'm out. Well said. We're talking about UConn on the other side of the break here in Bing Bong Bay. PJ Glasser, Ken Barkley, You Better You Bet presented by BetMGM. We'll be right back with You Better You Bet, presented by BetMGM on the BetQL Network. It's five on four here for Caravan. Carabingo, bingo, bongo. Let's get back to You Better You Bet, presented by BetMGM on the BetQL Network. Carabingo, Bongo, Bango from Brando. That was your call on Fox from uh, UConn. Ten out of ten. That's the best call. That's the best call I've heard all year of anything. Carabingo, Bango, Brando. That's pretty. It's pretty good. PJ Glasser filling in for Nick Costos alongside Ken Barkley. Final segment here for us on Stadium. Go to WatchStadium.com and check us out. You can also. Continue watching us on twitch.tv slash betql, YouTube backslash Odyssey Sports, Sirius Channel 160, and Sirius XM 205. We heard a highlight from UConn, Ken. They right now are the undisputed favorite. They have won 14 in a row. They are the defending champions. And now really the debate is whether or not this team is better than last year's team because of how good they are playing. Obviously, Purdue lost over the weekend. Houston has lost some games along the way, and UConn just continues to get better and better. They just beat the number four team in the country, 81-53. to When you look at UConn, you've said a couple times throughout the show, they're really like only three or four teams as of right now that you think could win the national title. Certainly, Connecticut is one of them. Is there an area where, like, you pause with Connecticut? Are there causes for concerns with you that maybe, you know, would concern you from buying into this team, just like going all in as we head into March Madness? Uh, yes, there there is to a certain extent. Um, but I, I want to start by just really emphasizing the point that you made. Uh, I think, look, it's February twentieth. There's a lot of time left, but man, if we were closer. Uh, it really looks to me like it's them and that's it and there's no one else. It really is starting to look like that, which concerns me as a better because it's not a good betting opportunity. The market has them as the best. I have them as the best. Then there's no bet. Like there's no bet to make. And be like, well, what about some other teams? I don't see any other teams. 
Like I just, yeah, there's, there's, we'll get to one in the next region that I think is interesting. There's a couple where it's like, well, it's close and maybe they get somewhere. That's a lame tournament then from a betting standpoint. The reason UConn was so fun last year and profitable for so many people. And I, it's a big miss by me. Like I didn't, I liked UCLA and I didn't like them. They both made sense. I, <laughs> there were two doors and I walked through the stupid one and I didn't walk through the one of the team that won. But the thing that made them great last year as a betting opportunity is they didn't play well in conference play. They were a four seed. They were not rated as well as they're rated right now. And so the market, and they hadn't won anything yet, and their coach had flamed out two times in the tournament. It, it, you know, if you could really have gotten onto them and gotten off the fact that Hurley had lost, which I couldn't, then there was a lot of money to be made on them. The 20, 25 to one going into the tournament. I, I mean, God, everybody gets eliminated in the first weekend. They were still a, like a good price to win. And then in the final four, they were, I think, pretty obviously the winner. Um, you know, even with four teams remaining, they were the team people were going to like the most. And they were rated like that. And this isn't like that at all. Everyone's on this. And I mean, everyone's on this, like the price is really low. So like, I agree. They look amazing. They look, it's not just, I, I watched the Marquette game and look, you catch the right team on the right game. You're going to think every team can win the national championship if you catch them on the right game. And that was a great game to catch UConn on because they just bulldozed Marquette, ran them out of the gym in 18 minutes. You know, like, I mean, really like compelling stuff. Uh, but you look at them on a sheet of paper, pass every, they are there. Look, we did. Purdue earlier, I said I kind of eliminated them for like uh they they didn't pass kind of one of the criteria that I have. Houston does, but look, I think it's okay to be concerned about what you're going to get from Houston in the tournament. We get to this team, we did some other teams where it's like, well, they're not there yet, but maybe they could be. We get to this team, there's 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 no con, there's no which they're UConn. I guess that makes sense. It's all pros. It's all like <laughs> I'm in pro con. It's all they yeah. pass every test. Pros and cons, right? Uh, it's all like it's all positive. The, on a sheet of paper, they look like the best. They look like the winner. And the problem is the market thinks that too. And so like even no matter how much I love them, and if the tournament started today, I would pick them in every bracket and I would pick no one else. And I, I don't know if I would bet them to win at this price, but I think about it. And if depending on the draw, you know, maybe I would. Uh, that's But that's like people be like, wow, that's like a really confident opinion. That must be a good betting opportunity. This is a terrible betting opportunity. The team that the market loves is the right team. That's a terrible betting opportunity. Like you want the market to be like heavy on the Ravens. Sorry, PJ, to bring this up again. And you get to come in and play Mahomes at a big price. That's a great betting opportunity. You get to bet Patrick Mahomes when nobody likes him. That's a really good betting opportunity. This is the team we all love. And they're like four to one. That sucks. That's really bad. That's a really bad betting opportunity. Um, so I just, that's kind of where I'm at with them. Look, they are basically the, there are two teams where I have like no even concern statistically whatsoever. And I got a million criteria and it's a, it's a total check mark in all of them. And they pass with flying colors. There's only two teams that fit that description for me right now. And they're one of them. And the other one we haven't talked about yet. So like, that's where I'm at with them. The problem is that the market is also right there with them and agrees and is pricing them that way, especially after Saturday. So like, that's, that's not good. Like that's a bad betting opportunity. And I, I know like people have started really betting into them and moving the price down. So those, I mean, those bets are going to age really well. Like you're holding nine to one, eight to one, seven to one into the tournament. Like you're going to look really good. Probably when they win, like now we're under five, like what there's still meat on the bone here. I don't know about that winning six at under five to one and we see the path then maybe we can make a decision but like uh 
It's just, it's not a great, I don't know if it's a great opportunity. I think they are by far the likely winner. I agree. They should be the favorite by a lot. Oh man. But like, can you bet the price? Like, do you, would you, is it a good bet? I, I don't know. So that's, that's where that gives me pause. I could talk about like how this, this can fall apart in a second, but look, I watched that game PJ over the weekend. I, he watched the team in the tournament last year. I mean, there's just, there's balance and pro talent and they're good at everything. And they just, they have these runs where they just, cr- what does Evan Maya call them? Kill shots. Everybody's using that term now. Like they just crush and they can do it. Guys can have bad game. Here's the difference. They play Marquette. Uh, what Tyler Kolick, that's the name of Marquette's best player. He's the biggest player of the year. Like yep. he has to be awesome for them to win that Correct. game. If he's anything less than awesome, they lose and it's probably embarrassing. And he was bad and it was embarrassing. UConn can have four guys play bad and it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Stefan Castle did nothing in the game. He played 25 minutes. He was irrelevant. Like, I just, who cares? The DR of the backup point guard comes in. The guy looks like a pro. Like, it's like, this is, this is the embarrassment of riches that this team has. I talked about Houston. Like, they can't, like, a team shoots well from three and they can't get out of the game. They're going to lose because, like, they're, that's their flaw. UConn can get out of their Houdini. They get out of anything. I mean, just like any team could throw anything at them and they're balanced enough to get out of it. So like, I just, uh, I think the market and betters and me, we're all going to be on the same page here. And maybe that means just bet UConn for a little bit. And like, that's what it is. Um, that's just, it's just not great. That's like, that's a, that's a bad betting opportunity when the market and you are in total agreement on who the best team is. Do you think their biggest hurdle is just the simple fact that they're trying to go back to back and how hard that is to do in the tournament? Now, obviously, each team is different, right? And this year's team does have some carryovers from last year's team. But have you specifically like gone back and maybe look at the similarities when Florida went back to back and this UConn team, or maybe even going back like five or six years ago when Villanova won the title, they were the one seed, had a lot of guys back, they lost to Wisconsin. Have you looked at that? And because I think that's really what's maybe going to keep people off of UConn at this point is just the fact that they're trying to go back to back. Have you looked kind of at some historical significance, maybe how this year's team stacks up to some of those in the past? Uh, yes, it's a great question. I don't. I I feel like the question's worthy of a smarter answer than what I'm going to give because it's a really good question. I don't. I mean, I don't have like the exact specifics on the Florida back to back. Villanova is a great example too of like the sustained run of excellence. You know, with some new players yeah. involved, but uh, sustained run of excellence. You know, instead of Archie Diacono and Jenkins, it's uh, it's Brunson and it's you know Divincenzo and Hart. it's Josh Hart and, o- and Omari Spellman yeah. and it's like all these great players. So like. Uh, the, I think my biggest thing with UConn this this next month is they're uh, they're on more of a tightrope than I think people would expect. So here's what I mean by that: I think if they don't play great, a lot of people will still be like, "Nah, like uh, they're still really good. Like they can do it. Like even if they just play okay down the stretch, maybe they play as like the 15th best team in the country or the 10th best team in the country, whatever." But I I said something earlier and I meant it because uh, it bears out historically that you. You are you do not get worse over the balance of a season and win worse than you were the year before. So if you are at a certain level, and it doesn't matter if you won the title, it doesn't matter if you made the tournament, anything. If you were at a certain level, and then the next year you are worse, you do not win. It does not happen. You can be like a tiny, tiny, tiny bit worse. That's about as like good as it's gotten for some teams. Like you're the second best team, and then you're the third best team, or something like that. Like that's a really, really small amount that you're worse you may not even really be worse it's just like really 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 minute but like 
you can't be, you don't be worse and win. Like this is a staircase that goes up. And so if they kind of like punt some games here done and they're playing as well as they've ever played at this exact moment, like let's say they lose tonight and then they lose like two more going into conference play. It's a pretty small amount mm-hmm. of, it's a pretty small margin for error. They'll be worse than last year's team. And I'll be out all the way out at that point. Teams don't do that. Like in order for this to work, they have to be at this level. That's my biggest concern. If they're not at this level entering the tournament, I'm out. Historically, teams don't do this. And I don't care how bad the talent pool is. Be like, well, they're worse, but like, look at the other teams. I'm like, I, I am a student of history in these situations. And yeah, like I'll get burned sometimes by teams. But a lot of times when I get burned, it's like hubris. Like I, there's a team that makes sense and I ignore them. If UConn is way worse than last year's team entering the tournament, then like they're, they should be ignored. Like it's, it is a historical outlier. It's not something that I'm just ignoring because I'm prideful or a moron or whatever. Like they would actually make no sense in that case. So what's their biggest problem? Uh, Their biggest problem is they're in the shadow of last year's team and they have to be even better to probably be a team that can win right now. They are, and it looks great. There's no guarantee that a month from now that's going to be what it is. Hmm. Yeah, really good answer there. We'll see how the Huskies fare tonight against Creighton. That should be a really good game. Uh, We'll wrap up our thoughts on this region in Big Bong Bay, and then we'll head out to our fourth and final region. Arizona, the one seed. Kansas, the two. Duke, the three seed. And Creighton, the four seed. All that coming up during the power hour (laughs) here. PJ, I was muted. You, You say the regions with such a straight face. You're like, Yes, and uh, up next on Nightly News, we'll go to Moron Island and Bing Bong Bay, and we'll tell you what's going on. It's just like you, the like, total deadpan. It gets me every single time. You're the best. Thank you, Ken. I try to be professional about it. You know, I try not to let – try not be to professional get the giggles. Moron Island. Yeah, Fourth and final hour coming up next. <laughs> we'll be right back with You Better You Bet, presented by BetMGM. <laughs> on the BetQL Network.